The following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information about our church or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. Church, this morning we get the privilege of looking at an absolutely beautiful um, text in Romans 10. So if you have your Bibles, would you grab them? Would you open with me to Romans 10? We're going to finish this chapter and we're going to get to talk a lot this morning about grace, about grace. There's nothing better to, to talk about than that. Romans has been such a powerful book. And and Paul has been so clear throughout this book that salvation is by faith and faith alone. Faith and faith alone. Salvation is not by works, what we do, what we don't do. It's not by what we earn, but salvation is by faith alone. Paul has, has reminded us that those who are to be saved, those who are to be righteous, are saved and are righteous, not based on what they do, but based on trusting and believing in Jesus Christ and Christ alone. Paul has just said in Romans uh, 10, 9, he says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, Paul says, you will be saved. You will be saved. This is why, church, this is why we preach it. This is why we proclaim it. Um, And I I love the verse that we get to look at today. Starting in verse 17, um, I want you to listen. As I read this, there are two parts to this verse. Uh, Listen to this. So uh, Paul says, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So the first part of this is faith comes by hearing, by hearing. This church, I, I believe this first part is pointing us to the human side of the coin. The, the human side of the coin. Remember last week, what we looked at is, is how are they going to, to call on the Lord if they don't believe? How are they going to believe if they've never heard? How are they going to hear if no one's preaching? And how, how are we going to preach if we're not sent? Remember what Paul just laid out for us in, our, in the verse we looked at last week. Faith comes from hearing. Faith comes from hearing, and they're not going to hear without a preacher. Paul is reiterating, restating what he shared with us last, last week in this text. But we also need to consider, church, the second part of this, this verse. It says, so faith comes from hearing. And then what does he say? And hearing through the word of Christ. Hearing through the word of Christ. Notice it's not the word of the preacher, the word of the messenger. It's the word of Christ. See, part one deals with the human side of the coin. Part two is dealing with God's side of this coin, God's work, the work of God. See, you cannot save anyone. You can't. You can't, no matter how persuasive you are, no matter how elegant you are in your, your, your speech, no matter how much theology you have under your belt, you can't save, you can't save anyone. Paul says faith comes from hearing, so we preach it, we share our faith, right? But, but Paul also says that they're, they're, they're only going to hear it by the word of Christ, that the word of God, it, when they respond to God's work on their heart, in their heart. Um, 
I don't know if you've even thought about this, but how miraculous of an event it is when we share the gospel. It is deeply and critically dependent on God showing up and working in a real way. Listen, I've used this analogy before. I think it's a good one, though. I think about this like a sailboat, like a, like a sailboat. So I'm not a sailor by any stretch of the imagination. But in a sailboat, I don't think you have to be a sailor to understand this one, by the way. But in a sailboat, what, what do you do? You, you hoist up the sails. You, 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 you position the sails, you secure the ropes, or at least that's what they do in the movies. Um, you, you put up the sails, and, and, and then what? And then what happens? Well, well, in a sailboat, you are then dependent on the wind to blow, the wind to move you. You're dependent on the wheel, on the wind. Without the wind, that boat does not move. And I think of proclaiming the gospel in, a, in this way. Um, the, actual, the actual proclamation, so when you share the gospel with your waiter at a restaurant after you leave a really good tip, uh, you share the gospel with a friend or a neighbor. When you, we started the Who's Your One initiative, when you share the gospel with your one, what are you, what are you doing? You're hoisting sails. You're, you're hoisting up the, the sails. That's it. Your job is to hoist the sails. And just like in a sailboat, what do you do next? You wait for the wind. You wait for the wind. The wind is the Spirit of God, the Word of Christ, as Paul says, blowing, and it's the wind of God that moves us, that, that moves us. As the sails go up, as they get in position, it's the wind of God that feel, fills the sails and, and moves. Are you following me? So gospel proclamation is a lot like a sailboat. It's, 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 let me contrast this though. It's not, it is not, I repeat, it is not like a rowboat. What happens in a rowboat? Well, you sit down in a rowboat and all the movement in your boat comes from you, your muscle, right? You move that boat. You row and you row and your movement is dependent upon you, when you don't move, uh, if you don't row, the, the boat doesn't move. Proclaiming the gospel is not like that. In a rowboat, it's all dependent on you. That's not what gospel proclamation is like. But let me go to the other side of the spectrum. It is also not like a motorboat. What happens in a motorboat? Well, you sit down and you let that beefy motor do all the work. Whereas in a rowboat, it's all your muscle. In a motorboat, you're reliant completely on the the motor of that boat while you sit around and and do nothing and that boat that moves proclaiming the gospel is also church not like that and the way we understand this is profoundly important because hear me follow with me here if you understand proclaiming the gospel to be like a rowboat where it's dependent on you where it's dependent on your, your muscles to move, you know where that leads? Well, it's either going to lead to pride or to fear. It's going to lead to pride because, man, look at me. Look at these guns. Look at me move this boat. Pride. Or it's going to lead to fear where we look and we say, I could never be like that guy. I can never row like that. I'm not strong enough. I'm, I'm not... I'm not qualified enough. See, it leads us to pride or to fear. 
um, when you when you think it's all up to you. But on the other side, church, when you un- when you think of this as more like a motorboat where you're passive in this, you know where that leads? It leads to apathy. I, God, you're going to save who you're going to save. I'm just going to sit back. I'm going to kick it while, while this motor moves, right? It, it leads to, to apathy. I mean, why worry about it? But here's the, here's the deal. When, when we understand that, that proclaiming the gospel is more like the sailboat, we are able to, to put down our apathy, our pride, and our fear, because these are symptoms of a faulty understanding about what it is to share the, the gospel. And when we understand this, we are then able to understand better what God has called us to do. And more than that, what God has promised that he will do. We understand it now. Um, we understand Paul's words. It says, faith comes from hearing. So, so what do we do? We hoist the sails. And, and hearing through the word of Christ. So what do, we do? what do we do? We pray for the wind. We pray for the wind and we let the wind blow. Um, we let the wind blow. I mentioned this verse last week, but, but I'm reminded again of Jesus' words in Luke 10, 16, that when he says, when they hear you, they hear me. When they reject you, they reject me. And, and the one who rejects me is the one who rejects him who sent me. Jesus is very clear that we are to proclaim the good news. We are to proclaim it, and Jesus is the one who brings the wind. And when they hear you, when they respond to you, they're responding to the wind. And when they reject, they are, they are rejecting the one who sent you. Um, one of my favorite prayers uh, that, that I pray often, I have written in several places in my in my journal and in my office, um, I pray this prayer all the time. It's known as the serenity prayer. And this prayer is simply states, God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. Courage to change the things that I can. And wisdom to know the difference. Churches, we share the gospel. This is my prayer for us. God, would you give me, give us the serenity to accept the fact that we cannot change a person's heart? Would you give us, at the same time, the courage, the courage to do what we have to do to share the good news? And would you give us the wisdom to know the difference between what is ours and what is God's? Would you give us the wisdom to know the difference between raising the sails and the wind of God? Would you give us the wisdom? See, you are called to raise the sails. You are called to, to proclaim the gospel. You are, you are not responsible, church, for the wind. That is God's work. And you're also not responsible for their response. That is, that is their responsibility. Um, and as we continue this text, we are reminded again that not everyone will respond. Not everyone is going to hear. Not everyone is going to trust Christ to be clear here. Um, not everyone who hears the gospel proclaimed is going to respond in faith to, to Jesus. In fact, Scripture is clear is clear that the wind of God is blowing and that each person is responsible for their response. And in this, Paul is clear that 
No one has a valid excuse. No one. I mean, if we look at verse 18, let's continue on. Look at verse 18 together. It says, but I ask, have they not heard? Um, This church is a question that comes out of pain for Paul. These are his brothers and his sisters here. Um, Have they not heard? Indeed, Paul says they have. For their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. Now, this is a quote here. This comes from the the book of Psalms, uh, Psalm 19 to be specific. And and I want to give you just a glimpse, a better glimpse of what Paul is actually saying here. And you don't need to turn with me here, but I just want to read the first couple verses of this psalm so we can see what Paul is pointing them back to. He says, in Psalm 19, let's just look at verse 1, says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun. So Paul says, the, or, um, David here in the psalm says, the heavens declare the glory of God. Creation points to its creator. That it's seen and all the, 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 the fingerprints of God are seen and all that God has created. Paul here is quoting Psalm 19, and and I'm going to say Paul is quoting Psalm 19 here again. The reason I say that is this is not the first time Paul has pointed us to this psalm. If you remember at the beginning, right at the onset of Romans in chapter 1, Paul says um, for his invisible attributes, he says, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived. Remember this? He says, ever since the creation of the world in the things, he says, that have been made. And so Paul says, they are without excuse. So Paul says, have they not heard? And he answers his question and he says, of course they have. Both from the scripture, the word of God that was given to them, the special revelation, the preachers, the prophets who had come to them, and through the work of God in all of creation, that general revelation, they have heard. So, so then, what could it be? Well, Paul's going to continue and ask the question. But I ask, he says in verse 19, did Israel not understand? He says, okay, okay, they heard, but did they not then understand? Well, now Paul is going to quote another Old Testament text, this time from Moses in Deuteronomy 32. He says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Paul is revealing exactly what is, ta- what is happening in this early church. For these Jewish brothers and sisters, they were looking around and saying, how could it be that these Gentiles, these people who don't have the Torah, these people who who are not a part of God's chosen people? How could it be that these people who don't have all the practices, the feasts, the festivals, how could it be that these people who are unclean, how could it be that these people are saved? How could it be that these people are given all of the privileges that we have? How could it be that these people are given a seat at the table? How could this be? 
See, no matter who you are, where you live, what time you live, right? Um, when you start to believe that you are saved by works, you know what it does? It causes you to begin to compare yourself to others and to judge others. That's exactly what was going on here. But you know what happens when you start to believe and understand that you are saved by faith? Church, that's when we begin to understand grace. Understand grace. And at the heart of it, Paul is pointing to the fact that they did not understand grace. I mean, listen to this quote again. He says, I'm going to make you jealous Jealous of those who are not a nation, a foolish nation, I will make you, what, angry, jealous and angry. So rather than rejoicing in their salvation, rather than realizing that, hey, you yourself were not a nation, you yourself were foolish, but by the grace of God, rather than realizing that, the fact that God has been gracious to them, in the same way he's been gracious to you. Rather than realizing that, what does what the text say? You are jealous and you are angry. You are jealous and you are angry. See, see, they had strayed. They were saved by the grace of God, but now they were believing and living by their works. Um, that, that God, you love us, obviously, because of what we do and don't do. You love us because we are clean and righteous. And, and, and so... It, obviously, God, you don't love them the same way. If we're not careful, we can even begin to reprimand God, look up at him, shake our fists and say, God, you couldn't possibly uh, love them. Like you couldn't possibly, they're dirty sinners. See, salvation by works leads us to jealousy and anger. That's what it does. Whereas understanding Grace by faith, you know what that leads to? It leads to joy, church. It leads us to joy, as the old pastor, John Bradford, um, says, he, he says, grace leads us to look around at the people, uh, at others around us, and, and not to get puffed up and proud, not to boast in ourselves, but listen to what he says, but to look at the sinners around us and say this, there, but for the grace of God, go I. And church, this is exactly why Paul says in Ephesians 2, in one of my favorite texts in all of scripture, for by grace you have been saved through faith. By grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It's a gift of God. It's not a work that no one may boast. No one may boast. Now, in our text here, I wanna, I wanna continue on in verse 20 because Paul's gonna give us one more quote here. This time from Isaiah 65, he says, Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. See, salvation is by grace through faith alone. Salvation is not in the merit of the seeker. It's not found in the one who, in how earnestly the one um, who seeks is. It's not found. No, it is grace through faith. Um, a couple weeks ago, I mentioned a particularly um, annoying <laughs> uh, song from worship song from the the early two thousands. I won't go 
through that again, you can listen back. But um, the song I brought up in that in that um, that week was a song that has this refrain: "I found Jesus. I found Jesus." Right. Um, now, again, I get. I get the heart behind this song. I get the heart behind singing about the fact that we found uh, Jesus. But I want us to remember again, remember again, that Jesus is not the one who is lost, that he needs to be found. Jesus is not the one playing this weird cosmic hide and seek game where he's saying, like, we're saying, ready or not, here I come, Jesus. We're going to find you. No, that, that, no, no. And Jesus is also not the reward that we get when we do a really good job seeking and searching. No, no. Isaiah, as he just said, hey, hey I've been found by those who what? Who, who, who did not seek me. <laughs> I've been found by those who did not even seek me. See, scripture is showing us here that salvation is not found by the merit of those who are seeking um, but by the grace of God, that in the grace of God, he has a sovereign plan. And in his goodness, he pours out his grace on us. And, and, and I don't want you to miss this. This is not a new plan. We've said this before, but this whole grace through faith thing is not new. Not, not new. In, in fact, um, for these Jewish um, brothers and sisters here who were kind of seeing all that was going on and crying foul, like, like this isn't right. How could this be? Um, Paul reminds them. He, he calls them out. He says, he says, guys, this is not new. And I want you to notice the quotes that we just looked at. You, you see what those quotes were? One was from David in the Psalms. The other was from Moses in Deuteronomy. And then from Isaiah. These are the... Uh, who's who of the Old Testament. These are the studs. These are the giants of the faith for these Jewish brothers and sisters. And what does Paul do? He points directly to their writing to show them that this whole Jesus thing, this whole grace through faith thing, this is not new. This has always been the plan. Going back to Abraham, it was his faith that was credited to him as righteousness. Going back to Abraham in Genesis 12 even, it was um, a promise based on faith. And who was it for? It was for the nations. Church, this is not a new plan. This is not a new plan. This is the plan. God's plan does not change. He remains. And that fact makes our last verse all the more beautiful. All the more beautiful. Verse 21, Paul says, But of Israel, he says, all day long, I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. Church, our God is patient. Our God is patient. God here holds out his hands, his outstretched open hands. He holds them out, not just for a moment, not just for a minute, for, for a little bit, for an hour. No, God here is holding his hands out all the day long. All the day long. Do you feel this imagery of God 
patiently holding his hands out, reaching out. Church, have you ever needed that? Have you ever felt that? Have you ever wondered, Lord, have I waited too long? Is there too much sin? Is there too much going on in my life for you to to accept me? Let this be a reminder that God is patiently reaching down, hands out, all the day long, I'm reminded of Lamentations. Lamentations 3.22 that reminds us the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. We are reminded of the faithfulness and the patience of our God that, that I can't even tell you how many, these countless times I have stood on the fact that God, you are patient. God, you are patient. And see, I, I believe, I believe, church, that there are two sides, two sides of understanding grace, two sides of, of understanding the grace of God. On the one side, it leads us to see others differently. It leads us to see others differently. See, when we don't understand grace, Here's what it does. It leads us, as our text has already put out before us, it leads us to jealousy and anger. It leads us to jealousy and anger with them. We see it already in our text, but we see this with the difficulty that the Jewish people were having with the Gentiles in this early church. Um, church, this what we see there in this text, that's, it's not unique to them, and we know this. We know this. When we fail to understand the grace of God, what happens? We start to judge others. We, it leads us to, to jealousy of others. It leads us, even church, to, to anger. It caught, but, but here's the deal. Grace, when we understand grace, it leads us to see them differently. It leads us to, to be broken for them. It leads us to pray for them. It leads us to even share the good news of Jesus with them. Grace causes us to see them, to see others differently. Grace causes us to see them differently. I don't need to tell you this, but we are an incredibly polarized society. We have us versus them on just about everything. Uh, just about everything. We are confronted with anger and jealousy all the time. And I believe our phones have become just great windows into this fact. We know this. We feel this. But listen, the grace of God shows up into that and it causes us to see others differently. Even those who we see through the window of our phone it causes us to see them with grace, to see them differently. Church, how is your heart this morning? How is your heart this morning? See, grace causes us to see others differently. You know what else it does? It causes us on the other side to see ourselves differently. See, when we fail to see grace with others, it, it leads us to, to jealousy and anger. But, but church, when we don't understand grace in our own lives, you know what it causes? It causes in us, it leads us to to shame and to guilt. Shame and to guilt. 
Paul, in fact, speaks directly to this as he quotes Isaiah, the, the, the last part of our, of our text, where he says, all day long, God has held his arms outstretched, right? Um, to who? To a disobedient and contrary people. To a disobedient and contrary people. Notice God didn't reach out to you because you were obedient, because you were good. God didn't reach out to you all day long because you had your act together. No. What does it say? God reaches his hands out patiently to you in your disobedience. You were not awesome. You were a contrary people. And I want to push this even deeper, even further, because not only, church, are you saved by grace, but as a brother, a sister, as a Christian church, you live by grace. You and I are, are still so often that contrary and disobedient people that, that it, it, even on our good days, even on our good days, you and I are saved by grace and we are dependent on grace each and every day, even on our good days. In other words, God's hands are still reached out to me and to you in all of our mess. As a child of God, nothing you can do, nothing that you have done, nothing can separate you from the love of God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Nothing. And just let that, just let that truth crash in to the shame and the guilt that you might be having that you might be living into. This church is grace. This church is the word of God. And don't let your guilt or your shame tell you otherwise. In the good and in the bad days of your life, we are dependent on grace. I, I'm reminded of something that Charles Spurgeon said in, um, in one of his many sermons. Uh, he says this, the saint... The saints are sinners still. Our best tears need to be wept over. The strongest faith is mixed with unbelief. Our most flaming love is cold compared to with what Jesus deserves. Our most intense zeal la still lacks the full fervor which the bleeding wounds and pierced heart of the crucified might claim at our hands. Our best things need a sin offering or they would condemn us. Our best things need a sin offering, or they would condemn us. What is Spurgeon saying here? He's reminding us that you will never not rely upon the grace of God. Never. And when you realize this, it could, church, it could lead you to shame, that you're not good enough. It could lead you to guilt. It could cause you to run and to hide. It could. Or when we understand grace, it could cause us to run to the open arms of Jesus all the quicker. All the quicker. His arms are open all the day long. I believe, church, that this is a great indicator in your life of whether or not you truly understand grace. It says, how do you respond to the sin in your own life? Does it cause you to run from him? Does it shame and guilt? Does it try to get you to run away from him? Or, church, does it cause you to run to him all the quicker, to run to the outstretched arms of Christ? Church, believing salvation is based on work, that leads to condemnation. But 
it, 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 in not just condemnation of ourselves, it leads us to condemning others and judging others. But Grace Church, it leads to life and joy. It leads us to understand that our God is patient and he is kind. Grace changes everything. It changes the way we see everything. And it reminds us that our world is divided into two categories. And those groups, that, those categories are not those who are good and deserving and those who are not those evil, dirty, rotten sinners. No, it reminds us that our world is divided into two categories, that we are all dirty, rotten sinners, and that some have responded by believing in Jesus Christ and received salvation through his work, and others have not. That's what this is. Here's what this calls us to. The call here this morning is simple. First, it, it is, have you responded in faith to the grace of God? Have you responded in faith to the grace of God? If not, there is nothing more important than this. Nothing. God's hands are outstretched and you do not need to have it all together. You do not need to clean up before you come to him. God knows you. Christ died for you and all of your sin and all of your mess so that you can come to God, so that you can know the grace of God, so that you could be a son or a daughter of God. Salvation is by grace alone through faith in Jesus Christ. You do not have to do anything first before you come to him. Simply, simply come. As Paul has said, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, Paul says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I encourage you to take a, a moment, a space to respond this morning. Um, and I pray that you will come. Lastly, uh, all of us who have responded to the grace of God, all of us who have responded in faith, our call this morning, I want to encourage you to share that faith with others, to share that gospel of grace with, with others. Like a sailboat, our call is to hoist up those sails and to pray for the wind. Um, in other words, our call this morning is to, to grace, grace for ourselves in Christ and grace for them through Jesus Christ. It does not get any more foundational and simple than this. This is the gospel. Salvation, knowing God, walking with God is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. God, we thank you for this moment. And I pray that for all of us, that we would take a moment now to respond. Spirit, would you move in us? Would you open our eyes to the goodness of your grace? We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.